0: again this is one of my happy places right here i love this church and uh, i know that uh, brother jerry this morning and sister mary are at a baby dedication of jonathan and uh, we understand that too that's where papa ought to be and uh, a nana ought to be right but we're so glad to be with you this morning uh sure and i are always honored to come here we uh, travel and speak all over the country and We're just honored to be here. Well, uh, I heard about an Indian chief one time that said, uh, Only the white man is crazy enough to think he can cut the bottom end of a blanket off and put it on the top and make it longer. Uh, I think he was saying that in reaction to daylight uh, savings time. Uh, We... Cut it off at one end and put it on the other, but it, it don't make the twenty-four hours any longer or any shorter. It's uh it's, it's a joy. Oh, oh, oh! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, turn it on, turn it on, turn it on. Yeah, yeah, okay. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now, Mart? Right, okay. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you will, to a portion of scripture that is familiar probably to all of you. Uh, This morning I want to speak on wounders, wounds, and wounded healers. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke, the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went unto him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him unto an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, here comes the big question. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said unto him, he that showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. Lord, I ask you to help me this morning. Touch my body, touch my mind. I'm so grateful to be in this wonderful church once again, and I I just pray, Lord, that you will uh, speak through your Holy Spirit, not just through my words, not only just the Logos, but the Rhema, that the Rhema of God would speak to every heart in this building today, and we give you glory and honor and praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. I want you to look very closely here. I mean, as you read this text, it's very obvious. This is a verbal confrontation between two experts. Now, the first person is an expert in the law. Now, he's not a lawyer, an attorney, as we understand that to be. But he's an expert in the Mosaic law. He is what we call a scribe in the Bible. And the second person is an expert in the kingdom of God. Now, the expert in the law is a very ecclesiastical, very impressive kind of figure in the crowd. He's got all of these ecclesiastical garments and all of these vestments and all this clerical garb that's colorful and beautiful, and I mean, he stands out in a crowd. So when he stands and moves toward Jesus, all the other people stand away from him in preference to him and Give him a way to get to the Lord. Now you've got to understand, strapped to his forehead and his forearm are these little leather pouches. They contain certain portions of scripture for this expert, this scribe, takes quite literally what is written in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the eighth verse, when it says in the Bible that you're to tie these symbols to your hands and your forehead. So inside these little pouches, they were called phallacaries, I think, but inside these pouches, you would find two scriptures that inscribed are inscribed on the parchment inside those pouches. The first is the golden text of Judaism. Deuteronomy the sixth chapter, verses six, verses four through five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And then here comes the second one, Leviticus the 19th chapter, the 18th verse. Then you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to understand, for a Jewish person, this right I, what I've just read to you in these little pouches, it captures the essence of the law according to them. But, but what this expert doesn't know, uh, he's met his match today because Jesus is not only an expert in the law, he is the lawgiver. Amen? He's not only an expert in the kingdom of God, he's also the king. He's not only an expert in law in love, but he is the very personification. He is the essence of love itself. That's what I want you to see this morning. So I want you to, and, and I'm not going to try to wow you with some homiletical sermon this morning, but I want you, I want you to see the, the movement of this story and the implications that, that Jesus is, is speaking and implying in this powerful story. Now, first of all, we have this encounter. It leads to the questions that were asked, and, and, uh, that, and then it prompted the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and then we have the story of the Good Samaritan itself. And all of you have heard that story all your life, so we're not going to deal with that a lot today. But then, then we see the characters of the story. And then fourthly, there's the directives of the story. And finally, there's practical principles that flow out from this story. So let's begin from where it all started with a question. This expert in the law comes to Jesus, the Savior of the world. This expert In Mosaic law, asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've often asked myself if he really, really wanted to know. And the reason I asked that, because I'm not sure his motivations were pure, because even the Bible says he asked this question to test Jesus. He was testing Jesus. But whatever the motivation was, the question still comes. And if you notice, Jesus didn't answer it, but rather he asked a question of his own. He says, what is written? How, how do you read it? In other words, if you're such an expert, if, if you're, you're so intelligent in the law, uh, if, you, if you know what you're talking about, then you should really know what the law says. So what is the answer to your own question? And how does the scribe answer? He answers with, with what is written on the parchment that is in those pouches strapped to his forehead and to his forearm. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now to the Jews, these were the twin posts of the law of God. And and on these twin posts hung all the law of the prophets. And when this man said this to Jesus, I want you to see, Jesus affirmed his correct response. And, and, And then Jesus just simply said this. He said, you know what, if you do this, then you shall live. I want you to see this. The question came, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, the answer was, love the Lord, love your neighbor. And and then the challenge came from the Lord to this man. He said, if you'll do this, if you'll love like this, then you'll have eternal life. In other words, uh, there was an exchange. There was a question asked. There was a question answered. You would think that would be the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Look at the text. Because Jesus has stirred something up in this man. He's caused this man to search a little deeper in his heart. I mean, this simple conversation has suddenly complicated this expert's thinking. You know, and and I'll tell you why. You see, he knew a lot about religion, but he didn't know much about relationships. He was an expert in the law, but he didn't know a lot about love. And so the Bible says at this moment, he wanted to justify himself. We all want to do that, don't we? Now, why was that? Why would he want to justify himself? Because personally, he was not doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, do this. If you love like this, you're going to live. But he wasn't doing it. Jesus said, if you'll do this, then you'll have eternal life. And because he wasn't doing it, he knew he did not have eternal life. So, So to justify himself, according to the Bible there is another question that comes. And that question is, who is my neighbor? Who who are you talking about being my neighbor? And that's what prompted the story that Jesus told. It's a story that we've heard all of our life. we preached a hundred messages from it. The story of the Good Samaritan. It's a simple story. It's an uncomplicated story. It's it's just one of many parables that Jesus told. And most of the parables that Jesus told, they were all taken from the experiences in the day in which he lived. He talks about a man that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's quite literally, if you know the geographical topo of that area, He literally goes down. It's a descent of 3,000 feet over 22 miles. And it falls into an area which was called the Badlands. Most of the Jews of that day didn't call it the Badlands. They called it the Bloody Way. And there was a reason they called it the Bloody Way. Because it was infested with caves. It was infested with hideaways. It was infested with crooks and robbers and murderers and killers. They were all over the place in that region. It was the perfect place for a robber to do his thing. So the victim in Jesus' story was not a special case. I don't think so. I think as people listen, that they, oh yeah, they said, I know about the bloody way. I know what he's talking about. I had a relative that had that same unfortunate experience. And and Jesus tells a story that they can all relate to uh, about how a man was attacked by robbers and thieves and brutalized and wounded and hurt. But in this story, it's different. Because in this story, there's a ray of hope. Because... This road is not only infested with thieves and robbers, but frequently travel along this road. There comes a succession of ecclesiastical church-going people. Church people. So in this succession of people, there comes a priest, there comes a Levite, there comes a Samaritan. But only the latter. Only the last man stopped to help. Now, I want you to, I want you to focus with me this morning. Because I want us to look at the characters that are revealed in this story. They're no more than a robber, a victim, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. But you know what I believe as I read this story? I believe the people that are in this story are representatives of people who are all around us today. I I mean, they're, they're characters that we see every day. We don't identify them in the same way, but they are there. They're a part of our world. First of all, there's the wounders. Uh, There's not much said about them in the story except what they did. I want you to see what they did. They stripped this traveler. They beat him. Unmercifully, they beat him. They robbed him and they left him half dead. Can I tell you something? I don't like to admit this, but there's wounders still among us today. They're all around us. There's the greedy, the graspers, the takers. They never give, they just take. I'm, I'm, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talk, we're in a world now that's filled with self-centered, self-indulgent kind of manipulators and controllers. It's sad to say, but our world is suddenly filled with them. Sharon and I were not long ago at a, at a Project Rescue ministry in New York, and we were shocked to hear what is going on in America and even Alabama as young girls are, are kidnapped and suddenly put in sex trafficking across the nation. And put in places where they never return to home again. And it's more than you think. But sometimes, you know, these wounders, they do it physically. But other times, you see, people can wound you with their tongue. They can wound you by what they say. And the aim is always to batter somebody, to maim somebody. Some time ago when we heard the story of the grandmother that had the 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 child that uh, she caused that girl to run around the house in the blazing heat over and over again until that girl absolutely collapsed and died from heat exhaustion. And you say, how could somebody be that cruel? How could a grandmother do that to their child? We're living in a world of wounders. And the spirit of this age is to wound people. I mean, it's crystallized the horror and the revulsion in my heart with the violence that's in our land. We're, we're living in Birmingham, Alabama. I get up every morning and watch the news, and it's like a war zone. We get a report of how many people were killed, who was found in the trunk of a car, who was found in a ditch, who's pulled up at an intersection as it happened in Bessemer just a few days ago, and somebody just pulled up beside him and shot six times through the car. How can we live in this kind of world? I am telling you, my friend, whether you want to admit it or not, wounding is a part of the spirit of the age in which we're living. It's demonic, and yet it's happening all around us. Look in the world of politics. Lord, will I be glad when November has come and gone. You look at the politics of our senatorial election. You look at our presidential election. One of the principles of getting elected is you got to do the other guy in before he does you in. You say every mean, vile, horrible thing that you can say about him, accuse him of everything. Whatever you do, you got to lift yourself up and you got to put him down. The spirit of this age is not to lift somebody up. It's to step on them and crush them. few years ago, a man by the name of Bernie Madoff, who's in prison today, thank God, in in a Ponzi scheme, absolutely stole billions of dollars, retirement money from senior citizens who had no way whatsoever of recovering that money. I watched him as he went through that trial. I listened to the reporters that interviewed him and there was seemingly no sense of remorse. There was seemingly no no remorse about what he had done stealing retirement money from people who now would have no resources in their future. In other words, the spirit of our age is is not to lift up the fallen, but it's to kick them while they're down. And let me tell you something, my friend. There's a lot of wounders everywhere. Hate to say it, but there's wounders in the church. I serve in a, a district position in this Alabama district, assistant superintendent. We have meetings with people where I see wounders. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Proverbs 6. The Bible says, talking about woundedness, there's some things that even wound the heart of God. God said, I want you to listen to me. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Let me tell you something. They're a part of a lot of churches today. If they wound the heart of God, you've got to believe they wound people. There's, there's wounded people left in their midst. And, and then there's this, the person that wounds himself. Uh, he, he, it's self-inflicted. He, he's called the sinner. And sometimes he wants to try to blame his wounds on somebody else. It was somebody else's fault. It was my parents. It was society's lack of education, the lack of advantage. Uh, I didn't have a good economic standing in the world. And so he wounds himself by his sin. That's the reason the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It don't get any easier. It gets more difficult. He's both the perpetrator and the victim. He he alone stands responsible. And then there's the wounded. Wherever you have wounders, there's gonna be wounded people. If it's the spirit of the age and people are battered and bruised and wounded, then I can tell you right now, you're gonna see them everywhere in our world. I was pastor of Garrettwood Assembly for 35 years. I used to have a habit of kindly scanning my congregation before I got up to preach. Now, Sharon, get on me. She said, now, you're, you're not to be an observer. You're to be a, a, a worshiper. and You worship. But I finally got down on the front. But I used to watch people as they came in. And we used to have what was called a love feast. We'd ask people to stand up and greet one another. And I would watch them. And there was new people that would come in our church and visitors who would recoil inwardly they were afraid to stick their hand out they were afraid to greet somebody to speak to somebody i don't know how it happened maybe it was a lash that they received from their pastor from the last church but for some reason they had been wounded in their spirit and 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 emotionally ravaged and psychologically debilitated and and people today have become casualties of life's warfare they're all around us. We're living in a broken society. We're looking where we're watching where there's dysfunctional families and there's the abused child and the divorced wife or mother and there's the grieving widower and the teenager who was given money instead of love. And, and somehow life has stripped them and circumstances have beat them and, they, and the enemy has robbed them and, and they, they, they feel about half alive. They don't know how to experience life. They're not living the abundant life. Many years ago, I was preaching a sermon in Gary Wood. I entitled he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And in that sermon, I was talking about, it wasn't this sermon, but it was on the woundedness of our age and the brokenness of families. And I was describing what was taking place in the homes across America. And I looked up way in the balcony, the building was full, and up in the balcony, right at the very corner, there was a mother and a young boy who were kind of clutched together. I didn't understand why he had not gone to children's church, but he he was so fearful of everything. He had been screamed at, hollered at, and abused for so long, he just clung to his mother but i was i was in the process of telling describing what was taking place and how jesus came to heal wounded spirit i didn't know it but later that week that mom she wrote me a letter she wrote me a letter and she said pastor loper you don't know me but we were in your balcony last sunday and said, you were preaching on he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and you were talking about what was going on in the families across America today. And she said, suddenly my little boy, my little boy with tears streaming in his eyes, he, she, he turned to me and he looked in my face and he said, Mama, why is that man talking about us? That's where we're at today. If there's going to be wounders in our world, you're going to have wounded people all around you. But then we come to the wounded healers, or at least they have the potential to be. So the Bible says here comes the priest. The Bible says he saw the man, but he passed by on the other side. I, I try not to be too hard on this person because he was in the ministry like I'm in the ministry. I mean, I tend to try to rationalize for him. You know, the priests were divided into 24 courses of that day, and they had to serve twice a year, a week at a time. They had these duties in the temple, and maybe he was rushing to Jerusalem to fulfill his God ordained duties for that week. And he, if he saw that man on the side of the road, and if he thought in his mind, well, maybe that man is dead, he certainly looked dead, he'd been beaten and left for dead. Then, if the priest touched his, this dead man, ceremonially he would be unclean for the next 24 hours and he wouldn't be able to carry out his duties. But it goes much deeper. than. I, I mean, as hard as I try to rationalize for this priest, when it boils down to it, it was his religious propriety that kept him from the spontaneous response to this suffering man. And sometimes... We can get so busy doing church things that we forget a lost and dying and hurting world out there that's wounded. And then comes the Levite, the assistant pastor. It was as if Jesus said, well, if you didn't get it, my message the first time with a priest, here it comes again. And he passed by on the other side. The pastor and now the assistant pastor, he walks by on the other side. Now, Jesus turns to this lawyer, this scribe, and he says, you know, you're, you're an official in Israel. Uh, so if you had been in this situation with this Samaritan laying half dead on the side of the road and, and bleeding and bruised and, and hardly breathing, what would you have done? How would you have lived out the mandate on those scriptures that were etched in that parchment and those pouches that you so proudly wear on your forehead and on your wrist? What would You have done. But then this story takes a very painful twist and turn. Because now Jesus interjects the person that was so despised. He interjects the Samaritan. You'll have to know there was racial undercurrents here that were flowing as strong as you can imagine. Jesus was addressing a Jew. The priest and the Levite, they had failed this test of neighborly love. And they were both Jews. And now Jesus selects as his hero a Samaritan. That was intentional. I'm telling you, the contrast between the priest and Levite and the Samaritan was absolutely unspeakable. Because the Jews had this unbelievable contempt for Samaritans. They hated them with a passion. They had the same contempt for them that they had for the harlots and the tax collectors. And and the Samaritans were viewed as as a rejected people who had rejected the purity of their Jewish lineage. And they had intermarried with the Assyrians. And and the Jews saw them as traitors and racial half-breeds. You can't even begin to imagine the hostility and the anger that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was off the charts. So just imagine mine mind how disturbing it is to this expert when Jesus interjects the Samaritan in the story. And then he asks this neighbor, this lawyer, Who's your neighbor? Or he is, who's your neighbor? Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which of these three did the biblical thing? I mean, it's like a digger in this man's heart. Because the question is not, who is my neighbor, but how does a neighbor act? How should a Christian respond? How does the love of God translate into the love for a hurting and wounded world? And when this man responds, and he, he, I want you to notice in the scripture, his anger and his depth of hostility is so strong that he can't even mouth the word Samaritan. With a twisted, snarled mouth, he simply says, it was the one who had mercy on him. So, Jesus said, in a directive to this man, practice what you preach. Live out what you've got written on those parchments. Carry out the law. Live the law. If you love like the law tells you to love, then you're going to have eternal life. And then comes the practical principles of the story. I, I just want to give you a few of them that I observed. First of all, this is a fact that if the one who was wounded would not find a wounded healer, there's the strong possibility that they would become wounders themselves. Let me say that again. If the wounded do not find a wound healer, it's very possible that they will become wounders themselves. Let me qualify that. It's not invariably true, but it's very possible. It's not inevitable that they're going to become wounders, but more chances than not they will. You ask any social worker and they will tell you the percentages are very high that if you were abused as a child, you have to be very careful because you can become an abuser in your adult life. What you hated in your childhood, you can actually become in adulthood. The the counselor will tell you that people who were molested as children often become molesters in their... Adult. Now, it's not an excuse for their behavior. Uh, they're still responsible, but there's a principle at work here. And, and it is true that if you don't allow God to heal the woundedness of your heart, you will become the very thing that you hated in your childhood. Look in Genesis, the 27th chapter, verse 28. Jacob steals Esau's blessings. Esau is wounded in his heart. The Bible says he wept. He was so wounded. He wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob's smart. He gets out of there. He goes down to Laban's house. You know the story. But as soon as Jacob flees, then Esau has no one to point his anger at. So he turns on his parents. And the Bible says when Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, what did he do? He went out and he married a Canaanite woman. Why did he do that? He did that for one reason. To wound the heart of his parents. You can believe it or not, but it is true. It's not just a cliche. Hurting people hurt people. I've seen it too many times in my ministry. The wounded become wounders. You ask any young person. Why would you go out sometimes and do the very thing that breaks your parents' heart? Why would you do that? You love them. Why would you do that? Look deep within the crevices of their heart and you will find out there's woundedness. And because of that, they become wounders themselves. We have to be very careful. In all my years, 54 years of pastoring, I've seen... People who were victims of a broken marriage who came with tears and woundedness. Before they ever gave their, ch- their heart a chance to heal, they would get married again. And they would bring the wounds and the scars from that first marriage into the second marriage. And many, many times I've seen it to be disastrous. Hmm. Now let me get a little closer to home. Because sometimes we in the ministry can get wounded. Preachers can get wounded. We are people, we're flesh and blood. You know, people sometimes think we got alligator skin and we we can't be wounded. That's not true. Woundedness can come to us in a thousand different ways. I mean, I, I deal on committees where we have to deal with pastors who are wounded. And and sometimes their first response is, I want to resign. I'm going to get a new place. I'm going to get a new situation. I want a new congregation. If I can just do that, then everything's going to be different. If I can just change the geographical position of where I'm at right now, then I'm going to be healed. But changing geographical locations don't heal the wounds of your heart. And sometimes they leave one church and they take their woundedness to another church. How many times have I had pastors come to me? I was 35 years at Garywood. I had a love relationship with a lot of people, hundreds of people. How many times have I had pastors come to me who have been wounded in situations? they've said to me, you better not get close to those people. If you get close to those people, you're going to end up getting hurt, and you're going to end up getting hurt bad. But I'm going to tell you something. I found out you can't stiff-arm people and be their pastor. You can't stiff on people and think you're going to build a church. You can't pastor people from a distance. My, my people were not just my church members. They were some of my closest friends. But, but sometimes in our woundedness, we get distrustful. We get self-protected. We, we get guarded. Uh, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to love you a lot. I'm going to care, but I'm not going to care for you a lot i tell you again, you can't shepherd people from a distance. And I've been in places where where pastors who were wounded in other situations and the pulpit became their weapon. It became a bully pulpit. I had to tell a guy one time, you know, you can shear sheep many times, but you can only skin them one time. And when you do that, The congregation becomes wounded. And the cycle goes on and on and on. Evangel, this nation right now is so divided. All I hear talked about today is woundedness how we've been hurt, how we've been mistreated whats What's been done to us, this nation, our churches, our families, we need healing for the wounds of our spirit. We need that. We need somebody to, to sense our hurt. We need somebody to reach out and love. We need somebody to minister life to us in these moments of woundedness. In this community right here, I dare say within a stone's throw of this church, you can't imagine the woundedness that's going on right now in this city. And the next principle I want to bring to you is if the wounded can find a wound healer, then they can become wound healers themselves. Listen what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Paul says, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that he does that so we can comfort those in their trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves receive from the Lord. Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever been wounded to your core? Have you ever had somebody say something to you or or do something you just cut your heart out and God came and healed your heart and you forgave them and you loved them and you reached out to them in spite of what they said or did? That's when God gives you the ability to become a wound healer. You see, once we've received it, then we can give it out. Once we've been healed, then we can minister healing to others. Because healing comes from our spirit. It flows out to other people. And how God ministered to us, now God is ministering to other people. God uses our woundedness to heal other people and bring wholeness to their life. Who in this church today, this morning, is most adapted to administering and loving, grieving people? It's the person who's known grief. It's the person who's been healed by God's grace. We're able to say to them what God did for me, God can do for you. Let me tell you something. The Bible says says, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick... The wounded must find a physician. And I've done found that, that physician, and his name is Jesus. And there's no wound that's too deep to be healed. No sinner that's gone too far. No marriage or no life that's broken or shattered. No teenagers that's been blasted by drugs. drug. No preacher that has his heart broken. There's nothing that's ever happened in your life that Jesus can't bring healing and wholeness to your spirit once again. One of the cardinal doctrines of the Assemblies of God is that from the wounds of Jesus flows forgiveness and healing for a wounded generation. Look at him on Golgotha. Look at his hands. Look at his feet. Look at his side. And the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And what about that person who has those self-inflicted wounds that I talked about? The Bible says there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And the sinner who will plunge beneath that flood, he will lose all of his guilty stains. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, You know, in a few days I'll have another birthday. I'm on the other side of the mountain. I watch the news like you. I wonder what kind of world we will leave my grandchildren. And sometimes I look through the eyes of the weeping prophet. I look at this generation that is now coming up And I hear their wounded hearts. I see their broken spirits. And I say, is there a bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Is there no healing? As the, as the weeping prophet said, why is there no healing for the wound of my people? I'm here to tell you there is a bomb in Gilead. We've just got to present him to the world. Because Jesus came to heal the wounds of our heart and our nation and of our churches and of our families. When Jesus went to his own hometown church in Nazareth to speak, he used the words from Isaiah the prophet. He declared, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me. And one of the the things that Jesus said he was anointed to do, and this comes from the King James because I love the King James, In one portion where he he showed up and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's known me to preach. And in that message, in that quoting of Isaiah, he says something. He says, I came to set at liberty those that were bruised. I find that a very interesting play on words. He didn't say, I came to set at liberty those who are bleeding. He didn't come to say, "I, I, I came to set at liberty those who have an open sore. He says, I came to set at liberty those that are bruised. I want you to notice he didn't even say I'm going to heal them. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to set them at liberty. You know what this implies to me? That implies to me that there's bondages in bruises. Hurts can hold you. Hurts can handcuff you. They can get you in a straitjacket. They can Wounds and woundedness, and it can so grip your life that life is not even worth living. They fetter us, they keep us from the freedom that we need to enjoy in Jesus. Let me illustrate this. If I had a cut on my hand, I had it all wrapped up and bandaged, and I'd come in here this morning. My hand wrapped all the way up my elbow. You would have said, what in the world happened to your hand? Well, let's, let's say, for instance, I had a big old gash on my forehead. It was there for you to see, and you'd say, Lord, Pastor Loper, what did Sharon do to you? You, uh, what? you run into a door, or a, a chainsaw someplace? What happened to you? But listen to this. If you have a bruise, I've never had anybody walk up to me and say, how's your bruise doing today? We don't do that, do we? Is your bruise doing better? You know why you don't do that? Because bruises are unseen. Bruises, for the most part, are always hidden. And there's people all around us And I would say to you this morning in this building, there's people in this building this morning. We look at them and we think, they're whole, they're well, they're okay. But they're bruised, they're battered in their spirit. And they need the healing touch from Jesus. And the Bible and Jesus Himself and the Scripture reminded us that He said, I came to set the person free who has the bondage of bruises. Have you ever thought about a bruise that you thought was healed until somebody touched it again? You think it's all well. You think it's all over. You think it's all in the past, but suddenly something happens that brings that to your attention again. And somebody touches it in their... Have you ever had a reaction from a person where you just simply said something and suddenly they gave you a reaction and you said, where did that come from? Where did that reaction come from? But most of the time it's a bruise that you didn't know was there. And inadvertently and unintentionally you touched something that all brought it to the surface again. That's why Jesus came to bring healing to your woundedness. And finally, let me say this. I want to say this specifically to this church because in times past, this church has been the most powerful church in this entire Alabama district And reaching out to hurting, wounded people. I think of how Teen Challenge was basically birthed right here. I think of the hundreds of young ladies and young men that came to this place here and out of your love for Christ and your love for God, you reached out to them and some of them were gone forever. They had been written off by their parents and by their family. They were despised by others and others had said to them there was no hope but this church right here. It's a part of your DNA. This church right here Took them in and you loved them. And God had not only healed them, but many of those people are in the ministry today because of the love and the commitment of this church right here. Jesus says we're to be wounded healers too. That's what we're to be. We need to commit ourselves that we will never pass the wounded by. We will not allow our religious duty and being in church and not seeing a hurting world to divert us from hurting people. I, I, I want to be the good Samaritan to my generation. Let me close with this real quick. I, I've talked a lot about my history to you before. Um, I was the middle child of 11 children. Um, my dad named him, me after him because he didn't think he was going to come back from World War II. He didn't think he was going to survive. I had two brothers older than me, but... He said I want a son named after me because at least that will be my my legacy that I'll have a child named after me and he did but you've heard me tell the story before that when I was 13 years old my daddy walked into the house and said I'm not gonna live here anymore I have found a soulmate in somebody else and I'm leaving you and to make a long story short We went through months and months of courts where back in those days, they had no mercy on children. They'd try to get you to testify against this parent or that parent. I loved both of my parents. It was horrible. But I'll never forget the day it was all over. Finally, this horrible experience had come to an end. My World War II hero, my daddy, my namesake, left our home and we drove home from the courthouse and we all gathered around my mama's feet we were in an unfinished house we had to to hang blankets on the wall to have privacy I know about the embarrassment of bathing in a tin tub and we are all gathered around my mama's feet 11 of us well 10 of us at that time and uh we don't know what's going to happen next we're all pretty devastated it's all shocking to us i'm devastated cuz he was not just my daddy he was my hero and my mama looked at us and she said well now this is not for everybody so don't take this as law for you but I- she said, uh, I will never marry again for the rest of my life. Not that anybody want to marry one with 11 children. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'll never marry again for the rest of my life. She said, I'll kiss my shoulder good night for the rest of my life. But she said, I'm going to raise you kids to know God. I'm going to raise you to know God. When she died, you could have put everything she had in a brown paper sack. But let me tell you something. She left us something that was worth a lot more than stuff. Stuff. She left us with a faith in God. I was angry at my dad for a long time. The anger was off the chart. It affected me even in my marriage. I don't confess to everybody, but you know, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But it affected my marriage. I became a very distrustful person. I didn't think anybody could be loyal to anybody because all of his life he had been so disloyal to my mom. The abuse, the verbal abuse was probably the worst thing. It was horrible. I mean, he absolutely decimated my self-worth. I thought I was nothing and a nobody. And I used to look at him with such anger. The anger carried me far into my childhood I used to look at him with such anger of what he did to us because it was bad. But then I had to remember I had an uncle that told me little John, I was little John, he was big John, I was little John. You would have to know how your daddy was raised. He said, I can still hear your dad's head bouncing off a log cabin wall when your grandfather would hit him in the face and say, go to Mobile, John. Go to Mobile without asking me. And he would beat him unmercifully. Here's what I'm saying to you. If you've got woundedness and you don't allow God to heal you, then you will become the very thing that you despised. Jesus wants to heal us and heal our hearts. And I I will say this too, because it happened to me and it took me years to get over this. I was totally unable to stand before people. I was totally unable to do anything because I... You, you, you would have to see the self-image that I have myself. Daddy, you be careful what you say to your children in anger because it might grow up to be a self-fulfilled prophecy in their life. You need to encourage your children. You need to bless your children. You need to say positive things to your children. Don't wound their hearts. Don't cause their lives to be grievous in the future or affect their marriage simply because that you were never healed of woundedness yourself. If somebody could come to the piano. Brother Jerry, if it's okay, I just want to take just a a moment or two. Uh, I I wanted to preach another sermon so bad this morning. I was prepared to. And God gave me, me this message right here. Because God said in this building this morning, there's going to be hurting people. People that need to be healed. Whatever your woundedness is, or whatever degree, the hurt that is there, no matter whether it came from your childhood, whether it came from a marriage, it may have come from a teacher. It may have, somebody said something to you that labeled you somebody has said something in a moment of anger that just crystallized in your heart and you've not been able to get over it i want you right now i want you to step from where you're at and i want you to come everybody stand with me i want you this morning i want you to i want you to step to this front this morning and we can all come together because we are going to pray together. I'm not going to hold you long, but I want you to come right now. Sing for us, if you will, as they come. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want you to stand right here. Come on. Come on. Nobody should come along. Nobody should come along.